Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Wednesday, September 20th. I think everyone in Clemson land still trying to process yesterday's news that Dabo Sweeney, so desperate to find a reliable kicker, went to the beach in Charleston to pull Jonathan White. And I loved when Dabo said, you know, it's not like this is just some guy off the street. Well, he is now, but... (laughs) I tell you, covering this man and this program is never not entertaining. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold, based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm. Smith and Archon Hall, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, this one has been a long time coming. Jeff Scott, who has been, he's back back home, back in the Clemson area since the start of this year, but Back in the Clemson area does not mean back in the Clemson football offices, as Jeff will explain here. Awesome conversation here. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. All right. Joined by Jeff Scott. It's 9.04 on a, on a Tuesday. I, have you gotten the, the soccer install in? Like how, how, how early did you get up this morning with your game plan and the four and under and all that stuff? It got, it's got to be stressful. <laughs> Uh, it is. We have our uh, third and final practice of the season uh, tonight <laughs> at six fifteen. So, uh, w- what I've learned through my first two practices is uh, really our, our best drill that we've done. And this is no joke. This is one hundred percent truth. The best drill we've done is put them in a circle and let them play duck, duck, goose. <laughs> and then whenever they get tagged as the goose, they have to get up and go kick the ball in the goal. That, that is the only drill that we've done that's been able to keep, keep their attention for longer than three minutes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really laugh thinking about, you know, the two weeks leading up to our first practice, you know, which was last week. 
and for two weeks, uh, you know, I've never coached soccer. I've definitely never coached three and four year olds. So, I mean, I'm, I, I watched at least 10 to 12 hours of YouTube videos on how to coach <laughs> youth soccer. And by the way, for anybody looking out there, it really starts at about five years old. There are no videos with three and four year olds, by the way. So maybe that was my first warning, but I put in over 12 hours of watching all these videos. I mean, I typed up a, a practice script, you know, it's 45 minutes. So just like in football, we have five minute periods. So I had nine periods written out. And so I was going to start with stretching and I thought long and hard about what kind of stretching we could do. So I get out there. I mean, we're in literally the first minute of practice. I've got them circled up. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Touch your toes. And one out of the 10 kids touch their toes. The other one sits down. My son gets up, runs over, and grabs a soccer ball. And so I realized real quickly in the first 30 seconds, this practice plan I have in my back pocket is not going to work. <laughs> and so it was the longest 45 minutes of my life uh, trying to figure all that out. And having all these parents, obviously, with that age, the parents stay and watch. <laughs> and having them watch watch me, and they're thinking coming in, well, this guy's coached for 20 years. I can't wait to see what he does with them today. And I was out of my element, and uh, I think my wife was really uh, enjoying it. Uh, but, yeah, that was our first practice. We have our third and final practice tonight which we may play uh, Duck, Duck, Goose for 45 minutes. And then uh, we start our games on Thursday, and uh, I think we have eight games. But, no, it, it's a lot of fun and uh, definitely, a, uh, you know, just a, a new chapter that I'm really uh, trying to, to, to take in as much as I can. You have made cutthroat decisions in the heat of the hottest moments, national championship games 10 15 million people watching but i don't think you were joking when you said the pressure of a few onlookers a few parents that's very real right oh it was it was very real i mean obviously <laughs> when, when i'm when i'm coaching football i mean that's all i've known my entire life right i could invite anybody to come and watch that because that's what I know. That's what I've done my whole life. But when you get put in that situation and you really have no idea, uh, you know, what, what to do in this situation and you realize there's no stop and like go ask somebody for help. It's like, no, this this clock's uh, rolling here. You got 45 minutes to figure it out. So uh, we, we uh, learned on the fly and and. Uh, you know, they like doing the breakdown at the end, you know, when everybody puts their hand in and you, you count down, you know, uh, one, two, three, uh, we're team orange. So one, two, three orange. That was probably their favorite part of the practice. And it was my favorite part, too, because the practice was over and I could go uh, catch my <laughs> breath. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, a unique challenge. I, and I put in, my, in that tweet, I just put, hey, you know, hats off to all of our youth coaches out there i had no idea how difficult uh, this was uh, but I'm, I'm gaining a lot of respect uh you know day by day i was speaking with uh, mickey plowler yesterday congratulating him on his new arrival second child <clears throat> and your name came up and and he mentioned that his son drake is on the team and he's not happy with the playing time his son has gotten so far is there anything <laughs> you can do 
Uh, the truth is, Drake is one of my all-stars. Uh, yeah, that, that was the other part. I wasn't sure if Mickey put it out there, but I guess I can now that he said that. Yeah, not only do I have all these parents watching, I got Mickey Plyler watching. I'm like, man, he's going to be giving an update the next morning uh, there that, hey, Scott has literally lost his mind. He has no control of these kids. What's he doing? You know, so that just added to the pressure. But, uh, no, his son Drake is, is awesome and has done a great job, and and uh, I think he's going to be my, my Sammy Watkins of uh, this season for sure is this at nettles or over at the ymca fields yeah nettles yeah this is uh Clem- this is clemson nettles and uh we had a draft actually uh the week before our first practice we had a draft so my wife who knows the other moms is looking down the list and kind of getting my, my order of draft picks and uh so of course i there's a lot of uh, clemson coaches and you know, support staff kids that are going to play. So I've got a lot of them highlighted. And, uh, you know, and Fletcher Anderson, who I played with, one of my teammates uh, at Clemson, uh, was a kicker for us. You know, he's he's been coaching youth leagues around here for a while. He actually showed up late for the meeting, so he gets to sit in the, <laughs> the first chair right by the door, and then he gets the first pick. And he picks all of my kids, all the coach Clemson coaches' kids, which are all the kids I was going to pick. He takes them all right there. And now I'm scrambling, you know, just picking them. Uh, Plyler was the only name that I really knew on there. So uh, that's kind of what I, I got left with, I guess. It was so wild reading your tweet and the video you posted, and and I, I got a little a little weepy. It was it's just cool to see, you know, somebody else going through the same sport, the same place, you know, the same age. There's just something special about uh, growing up, you know, your kids being raised in the same spot, and you see other parents going through the same thing that you did um, years ago, and we we did it at the. We started at the YMCA over there, um, over there where the uh, you know where the the beaches and all that um, I guess right. still are. But the right. the Clemson students were coaches uh, during that time. I guess through some sort of internship. And I sure. remember one of our coaches wearing a cape, you know, just to try to keep the <laughs> keep the kids keep the kids attention. And so I don't, I don't know if you'll ultimately graduate to the YMCA thing or not, but but one of the one of the indelible memories I have, <clears throat> like sometimes, sometimes you got the college student coaches who just weren't very interested in in coaching, and so they're on their cell phones sure. and things like that, and that's natural. I don't sure. think it's the you know uh, uh, right. the worst crime in the world, but uh, one time our coach just didn't show up for a game. And and we're standing there, and Mike Noonan's daughter just happened to be on my daughter's team, and they were friends. And and Noonan just happened to be there. It was a rarity because I think he's really busy during the during the spring. Sure. I'm probably recruiting and doing all that stuff. Right. And so Mike and I are standing there, and we're like, "Well, uh, I guess we're not going to have a coach today." Um, and Mike said, "I guess I'll coach him." And I swear, <laughs> our our team had not scored a goal in three games. Like it was it was that bad. And Mike wow. got the group together, and whatever message he imparted, it was largely to do with fun. Um, but <laughs> they scored a goal thirty seconds into that match, and it was like one of the best moments, maybe the best oh, moment of the great. season. They go on to score like three goals in that game, and. Um, anyway, my point is, I almost after I saw your your video, I almost went 
deep into one of my external hard drives to find some old videos of those <laughs> days, but I, I couldn't really take the, uh, it would have been too many tears probably, but that's, it's really cool to see. I think I probably need to call Coach Noonan after hearing that story and find out what that message was and see if it uh, will continue to work today. That's a, that's a good lead for me. Thank you. I, lo- I love how you creatively, in the tweet, you said, uh, paraphrasing, you said, it is accurate that I am now, I've returned to Clemson to coach. <laughs> it's a, can we Can we go back to the... Back in January, I mean, it was a sensation when, when, when Dabo pulled off the major coup of getting Garrett Riley. Somehow, I guess people got some sort of mistaken notion that you were also coming back. And, and of course, as things do these days on social media, it ran wild. And Garrett Riley and Jeff Scott are now running the offense. So can we go back to that and what your, uh, what your reaction to that was in the moment? Uh, sure. So after uh, we finished there in Tampa, you know, at the end of last year and my wife and I talked about it, uh, you know, we decided that, you know, we wanted to come back to Clemson and this is really home for us. And, you know, our really our number one goal is to be able to, to raise our kids uh, right here in Clemson. I think uh, many coaches that kind of work their way up uh, like I was able to do in our, our coaching profession and, you know, become a head coach and, uh, you know, realize maybe towards that part of their career that from a financial standpoint, you know, they can start making, you know, different decisions of where they want to live and where they, you know, um, you know, what they want to do. And I think most coaches that do that, maybe you're in their 50s and their, their kids are already out of the house. And it was kind of my situation was a little unique in that I kind of, you know, reached that uh, point. Um, but I had a three-year-old and a, a seven-year-old uh, at home. And so I think what Sarah and I, you know, talked about after uh, finishing up at South Florida is, man, we, we really want to go back to Clemson and really raise our, our family right there in Clemson. And that's something that, you know, as a coach, uh, I didn't really know would be a possibility whenever I started my coaching profession. I mean, my dad honestly tried to talk me out of going into college coaching. He really was pushing me hard to, to stay in high school because he knows how difficult it can be with the coaches moving. I mean, I've got some of my buddies that are my age uh, in the college coaching profession that have been to eight or nine schools in the same, you know, 20 years that, you know, I've been fortunate to really, you know, be at two schools. And so anyways, we made that decision. So we moved back in January, the beginning of January. And really the, the plan was to, to take some time and really maybe uh, take at least one year off and spend with the t- family. And, you know, you know, obviously my last few years at Clemson, you know, I mean, those were long seasons, right? They're exciting seasons, but they were long. I mean, we played 14 or 15 games, you know, those last, uh, you know, three seasons or so. And then you move straight into a head coaching position where you're trying to, you know, really turn around a, a program. And uh, there's a lot of hours and time that goes into that. And uh, so, when, uh, when I kind of got off the treadmill there at the, the end of uh, the year last year, I just really said, let's go back to Clemson and um, let, let's spend some time there. Uh, obviously, Coach Sweeney, you know, had checked on me. I mean, he, he uh, you know, uh, whenever he heard the news down in, in at Tampa, he, he gave me a call that night and we visited and we, you know, just touched base. And really, it was more of a personal uh, phone call where he's just kind of checking on me. And, you know, and I told him that, hey, I'm, I'm coming back to Clemson. Um, that's going to be my location. I'm not sure on occupation, you know, exactly, you know, what I want to do or, or pursue right now. And that's really uh, what happened. So I think 
you know, I put out a tweet maybe the beginning of January, our first week back. Uh, we went and ate at the new walk-ons uh, there downtown. And so I, I took a picture of maybe my kids standing in front of, they have this, you know, beautiful picture there of, you know, uh, Clemson backdrop. And so I took a picture of Hunter and Savannah there and just said something like, you know, great to be home or something like that. And so I think a lot of people maybe just assumed uh, because of my 12 years that I spent on staff that I was coming, since I was coming back to Clemson, then I automatically was coming back into some sort of role as an analyst or recruiting or something like that. And uh, the, the difficult part of it uh, was whenever you would see random people, you know, in the grocery store or, you know, at a restaurant, just walk by and speak, which is all great. And they just say, hey, coach, we're glad to have you back, you know, and good luck this year. Well, it's kind of <laughs> awkward to, like, stop them and say, like, raise your hand and say, well, actually, I'm not coaching, you know, and try to explain why. And so I, I never, I never like, gave them affirmative that I am. I just always said thank you and kind of waved, you know, and acknowledged them and left it like that because it would take too much time to sit down and give my 10 minutes of you know why I'm taking some time off with my family uh, so yeah I, I did get that and you know for the whenever maybe that got out that night and I was getting a lot of text messages from you know different people and again on the text message the first five ones I tried to explain to them that it's not accurate and I'm not doing it but that was taking too long so then I just started giving everybody a thumbs up you know thank you <laughs> and just <laughs> leaving it like that and so they'll, they'll figure it out at, at, at some point but no we 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 love uh, being back in Clemson, and uh, I mean, we, we've made the decision. The only decision that we really made uh, about you know our family's future is that we're putting down roots right here, and we're going to raise our kids uh, right here in Clemson because I mean, this is home uh, for us. We've lived here twelve of the last fifteen years. Uh, I met my wife Sarah uh, as freshman here at Clemson. All her family lives in South Carolina. They all went to Clemson. My mom and dad are back, and uh, my dad's retired, living over there in Seneca. So, you know, this is home for us. And, you know, I think over time I'll kind of figure out, you know, what direction I, I want to do from an occupation standpoint. Uh, but uh, right now we're just enjoying uh, being back here in Clemson. Yeah, I'll never forget around that time. I, would, I was getting texts from people. They were saying, like, I just saw Jeff Scott's wife at Lowe's. And I just saw that Jeff Scott just dropped his kids off at Clemson at elementary school. And I'm like, yeah, they're here. Like, I don't know what else to say. They're, they moved back. Well, what, what, one funny story on that. Uh, we hadn't been back maybe three days. We literally moved back, I think, January 1st. And uh, we hadn't been back three days. And uh, we were out uh, at a restaurant. And I was with my wife and my daughter, Savannah, who's seven. And my son Hunter and um, uh, th at the restaurant we were kind of sitting out in the middle so you know there were several people probably three or four different people came by at different times and just said hey coach Scott we're so glad to have you you know back here in the upstate and the South Carolina and I kept saying thank you and and maybe after the second one my daughter Savannah kind of looked at me and she said what's going on <laughs> Like, how do these people know you? Like, she she had this like biggest mystery look on her face, and you know, and I had forgotten that when she was in Clemson, you know, even though she had been on the stage at two national championship uh, games, you know, she was so young, you know, she was maybe three, three and a half whenever we left. So, 
she didn't really have any idea. And then, you know, in South Florida, even though I was the, the head coach, Tampa's a, a, a big city, right? And there's a, there's a lot of other sports that kind of take priority there with the, the Bucks and the Lightning and the Rays and, and everything going on. So maybe she didn't uh, experience that as much there, but it, it wasn't two days we were back here and she was kind of like, time out, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. And uh, I just thought that was, you know, really funny uh, for her coming back three years later. Has it become any less awkward now socially, now that people have gotten the message that you're not back with the staff? Yeah. Yeah, and I've, and that was part of the reason, too, that I put out the, the soccer tweet is uh, I wanted people to know, you know, that I'm, I'm not uh, coaching or on staff right now. But, yeah, I think people have kind of figured that out. And, again, it, it was never like this huge deal. I mean, I've again, we, we've lived in this community for 12 of the last 15 years. So we have a lot of friends and, uh, you know, people that we've known for a lot long time that are here and, and uh, so it really wasn't a, a huge deal, you know, at the beginning. But yeah, everything's everybody's kind of figured it out, and and, and most people's reaction, you know, think it's you know cool that I'm taking some time right now just to kind of spend with the family and and and, and enjoy that uh, piece uh, as much as I can right now. My stock answer that I give, like on my message board, when people ask, uh, do you think Jeff will will you know when when do you think he'll be back at Clemson my stock answer is basically like I don't know but I I would assume that it's you know it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the near or well not near future but in the future that he maybe comes back in an administrative role with football or maybe even administrative role athletic department whatever with the university my answer is I you know it wouldn't my guess is that you're going to be back at Clemson in some capacity at some point but I have no idea when is that pretty much is, is that close to yeah, I, I think I, I think that I think that's pretty fair I mean um, I mean obviously I've got a great relationship there with, with coach Sweeney I've got a great relationship uh, with Graham Neff uh, our great AD and um, I mean I, I could see at some point um, you know I definitely would love to at some point get back in, in some type of uh, capacity if I'm gonna be here uh, obviously uh, in town but I really, uh, when you say you don't know, I think that's probably the most accurate answer because it would be hard for you to know if I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, so, and, and I, and I really don't, but I'm not, it's not something that, uh, I'm even thinking about. Honestly, if I'm not even thinking about it, I think, you know, a lot of times maybe when a coach, uh, gets let go from one job, uh, they have a sense of urgency to, to kind of go get on somewhere else because there's a fear that, if you get out of coaching for too long, then, you know, that, you know, ship has kind of sailed. And, you know, my situation is a little different in the fact that I've got, you know, heavy roots here uh, with Coach Sweeney, with Graham Neff, and uh, i got a, a great relationship with our, our president, Jim Clements, as well. And so I think that does afford me a little bit of time to to kind of, uh, you know, take this break. And I've used that analogy before, whether it's a halftime of a, a game or halftime of my career or or even a timeout. You know, you're on a long drive, and sometimes you need to call that timeout and get everybody on the sideline, kind of catch your breath and, you know, refocus, recalibrate a little bit, and then go back out there. And so that's probably, uh, you know, that's probably what this is for me. Uh, but honestly, I, I, don't, I don't have a plan, and, and I don't really – think that I need one right now uh, to truly be able just to to um, 
you know, take that off my shoulders right now. I've spent enough time in my career, right, just worried about what the next step was going to look like. And uh, now to have this point where I can really just kind of, um, you know, leave all that stuff to the side right now and enjoy my family. And then also, uh, you know, being able to uh, spend some time with my dad, you know, now that he's uh, retired, uh, you know, we try to play golf once every two weeks or so. And and um, so that, that's a, a really important thing to me as well, uh, being able to have time to, to do some of those things. When you are accustomed to going 150 miles an hour for a decade plus, just about every day. I mean, that's just that's life as a as a high level college football coach. And I would think that's how most of y'all are wired. Um, I, I mean, obviously, when it's in the immediate aftermath of suddenly having all this free time, it's refreshing and all that. But I would assume, and maybe I'm assuming wrong, that it also takes an adjustment to just. Uh, much more of a sedentary life that doesn't have that adrenaline and that sort of just the rushes and the heart just the like i said the way most coaches are wired um has it has it been an adjustment in any way so far just trying to um you know fill the hours yeah it it definitely uh is an adjustment like you said i mean you know you use the analogy of being on a treadmill and you know sprinting as fast as you can for as long as you can remember and then you step off, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, as soon as you step off a treadmill, it's kind of like your, your body feels like it's still running, but you're standing still, right? And uh, so there is a little bit of that. I think, uh, and, and I'm figuring that out. I mean, really, for me, and I've always taken tr- pride in trying to be an organized person, and uh, I'm, I'm never going to be a person that's going to, you know, sleep in until 9 o'clock or something. So, I mean, I, I'm up by 6 o'clock every morning. I, I like to, to get in some uh, exercise and, and work out in the morning. Uh, I enjoy taking uh, my, my daughter to school in the morning. We're just right around the corner from uh, where she attends school. And uh, I think one thing that helps with that, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is the fact that I have, you know, young kids still at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody thinks about, you know, the coach and the long hours. And sometimes, uh, and it's that way, obviously, in business too, with, with people that are working a lot. And sometimes they don't think about the wives that are home, right? And those coaches' wives, uh, that, that, that's a tough job at the house because your husband's gone, you know, 80 hours out of the week. And even in the off season, they're, they're gone recruiting and, and, um, and, you know, this, this age of, uh, maybe child rearing with, uh, Savannah actually is getting ready to turn eight, uh, later on this uh, coming weekend on Sunday. And, uh, and then Hunter, who just turned three, uh, last month, you know, there's a lot of activity that goes with an eight-year-old and a three-year-old and, and, and everything. So I think that's helped me kind of fill some of those hours where I'm not just sitting idly. But, you know, one thing that I've enjoyed also is being able to, to watch games uh, on a Saturday. I mean, I, I sit in front of my TV pretty much from, you know, 12 noon until, you know, <laughs> 1 or 2 a.m. watching college games. And that's something as a college coach that you don't get to do. You know, you may be able to catch a few minutes here or there if you play a noon kickoff at home, something like that. But but being able to do that. And then the other thing that I've really enjoyed is, you know, watching NFL games on Sunday after we, after we go to church and, and, and have lunch to be able to sit there. I mean, I, I guess I have a YouTube TV as my provider and they have this new deal where they have like the four boxes, oh, right? Yeah. You can watch different games. 
Well, I think it was this past Sunday I was watching that, and I, I was watching some of our former Clemson players was in one of each of those games, right? <laughs> and so I'm like sitting here watching four games at once, and I've got receivers or quarterbacks or whatever, defensive players from Clemson that are playing in these games. And that's something, too, that, you know, whenever you're coaching on Sunday, I mean, you're, you're putting the last game to bed, you're starting on the next upcoming opponent. And so I've enjoyed, you know, that on, on the weekends, being able to do that. And then, you know, just, uh, you know, trying to keep up with the, the kids Monday through Friday. But yeah, there's no doubt it's, it's an adjustment and uh, it feels a little different when you're at home watching games on TV than, you know, you kind of maybe have, especially for that first game, you kind of have a little bit of that panic attack kind of like that nightmare that maybe you have where you're supposed to be somewhere and you're not there and you're late and like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Yeah. And uh, I actually have a funny story about that. So, you know, I was the holder at Clemson my last three years uh, for field goals whenever I was playing at Clemson. And um, I had a year left, like my red shirt senior year, but I was ready to go. I was going to get married and I was ready to get a job and start coaching and get my coaching career going. And uh, so even though I had an extra year, I graduated and uh, went down to Columbia and was coaching at Ridgeview High School. So I come back for the very first game, right? So it's the first game since I played. It'll be the first game that I'm not the holder. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, I believe it was Gene Pate was going to be the new holder. And running down the hill in the first game, he breaks his leg, literally coming down the hill. And I remember for about two minutes on the side, because I'm staying on the sidelines and, uh, you know, just in street clothes. And because, again, I'm a teacher at Ridgeview and coaching high school football there. And for about two minutes, going through my mind is like, oh, my gosh, should I go in the locker room? Do I need to get dressed? Like, I have a year of eligibility. You know, and then after about two minutes, I realized – I'm not in school here. I'm not even eligible. But that literally, <laughs> that conversation was going through my head in that moment. Like, should I go get dressed? Am I going to be the holder for today? You know, and so a little bit of that, you know, watching, uh, you know, some games, uh, you know, the, the first week of the season is kind of like, man, your body kind of feels like you're supposed to be there. Um, but also it, it's good to be able to, to, to watch, you know, different people play and, and, um, you know, not have your, your livelihood on the line with, with every single snap uh, of a game. I have interviewed Dustin Fry a few times over the last couple of years. He's now the head coach, uh, high school coach up in uh, Tryon, North Carolina. Yes. I believe it's Polk County. And he was yes. just saying that if you, uh, a college coach, the the window of time that you actually – have to enjoy an accomplishment, usually a win, is so small. Like, especially if it's a night <laughs> right. game, right? And even he said, even right. he said there were times, even even when even when they won a game, if if your position didn't play well, it's almost like a loss because you're like, you know, you're maybe getting grilled by the head coach about it. You go home and you really can't stop thinking about it as you're trying to enjoy your family and. Man, just a really not not that I'm not saying that coaches you know are destitute or anything like that. I mean, they get paid a lot of money, but sure. I almost feel sorry for that existence because the the pockets of time that you actually are able to have some contentment are so small through the year. You do you, do yeah, you agree it, with that? Yeah, I I agree with that. I think um, 
overall, that's very true of our profession. Um, I will say this, working for Coach Sweeney, I mean, he's different and he's unique. And, you know, he wants to make sure uh, that the team and coaches appreciate a win. And sometimes you don't play well and you get a win. And, you know, he, he, he probably did as good a job of that as possible. And then, you know, but you do come in the next day on Sunday and it's like, hey, we got to correct these mistakes and we got to get this fixed. Uh, um, what I think about really my last, I think it was, I don't know if it was 24 or 25 in a row. It's seen my last three or four years at Clemson because we, had uh, such good teams, we played on the road at night. Every road yep. game was at night for about three years straight. And so what that did, uh, because we, you know, fly in after the game, you know, you know, first of all, the game gets over, right? It's 1130. You know, it takes an hour and a half to get everybody showered and get the buses loaded. Then you get to the uh, airport and it's an hour and a half of security and getting the buses uh, or getting the uh, planes loaded. Then you fly into Greenville. You got to unload. That takes an hour. And then you got an hour drive back. And I mean, there were many, many, many road games during those last three years I had at Clemson. Well, we're rolling in at, you get home at 5 15 a.m. and, and you got to have your film graded and be ready to meet uh, with your offensive staff, you know, by one o'clock. And I mean, <laughs> you doing that, you know, five or six times throughout a year. You know, that, that's really difficult. And, you know, it's just kind of part of it and part of the profession. But, yeah, it is it is a um, uh, very difficult cycle. And, obviously, the excitement uh, that comes uh, from, you know, winning those games and those big wins, those are really big, you know, for those moments. And But I think, you know, really uh, it's after those seasons and probably, honestly, it's in moments and kind of years like I'm having right now where you have a chance to kind of look back and and uh, take measure of, you know, some of the accomplishments of some of the teams you've had, some of those memories that you really get to maybe enjoy that a little bit more. And, uh, you know, like I, I thought something that was really cool recently is uh, I went in, we were, we, we moved to a, a new house here in Clemson and we had a, a big uh, safe put in and I pulled out, you know, our um, all my bowl rings from Clemson and was showing my daughter for the first time. You know, she thought that was just incredible, you know, because when she was, you know, three years old, when we were winning those, she wouldn't have been able to know what that was or what it meant. And uh, so really having some time to kind of reflect on that. And even for my dad, now that he's fully retired, to kind of look back and think through some of those years and some of those wins. Because when you're in the moment, like you said, you know, you can enjoy it for a very short period of time and then you got to move on to the next. Um, but I think later on in life is when you get a chance to really sit back and enjoy some of those uh, special memories. When I think back to 14, 15, I think of a, of a program and even a fan base that just has a hunger, right? Like everything was new. You know, you're experiencing it for the first time and there's nothing really like the first time, such as, an unforgettable moment was after y'all beat Oklahoma in the semifinal in the Orange Bowl. I'll just never forget the joy that I saw, not just from the program, but you know, trustees and such, people around the program, donors who were outside the locker room that evening. And then things start to get harder because you still have to have that edge, you know, moving into 16. I mean, I think even in 16, even though, of course, it's remembered for the national championship, 
that was hard that year because y'all were expected to be the best team in the country and you sort of knew it and so you ha- sort of had to keep their attention and uh and then moving on into 17 18 19 can you just reflect on what you learned uh about having to maintain that edge and 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 just sort of the uh the the age old um the the age old lesson of of it's just so much just human nature to feel impressed with yourself after you've achieved highly and really the hardest thing to do is to is to retain that edge in in the in the in the wake of, of accomplishment yeah well like you said there's there's nothing like that climb when you're climbing for the first time right and you're, you're working your way up. And, and obviously, you know, and all our Clemson fans, anybody that was following the program closely, I mean, it's not like it was just a, a smooth ride up to the top of the mountain, right? I mean, it's, you know, two steps up, one step back, and being able to continue, you know, m- making progress. And, um, you know, that, that's that's special, whether, you know, you're a part of a, a company that's kind of starting off as a newer company that's working their way up to that success or whether it's a, a, a football team or any, you know, sports team, that's special. And then also think, I mean, there, there's a, when people, you, you look at what Colorado's doing right, right now with Coach Prime. And I mean, there's a, a lot of motivation when you feel like there's people on the outside that don't think you can do something and you on the inside want to show people that you can do that and you can overcome some of those things. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's not just motivation for that game, but it's motivation to show up on Monday and go to practice on Monday and have that edge and practice on Tuesday and then have the full pads again on Wednesday and have that focus on Thursday for practice and then the Friday focus walkthrough and having, you know, looking through your playbook and taking, you know, all your notes and, and really being ready for that final exam on Saturday, you know, when, when you feel like you're a part of something that's maybe doing something for the first time in a long time and you know everybody's watching, I think there's just a little bit uh, more attention to that. And and I remember Coach Sweeney's always said that, yeah, it's hard to, to build something, but it's even harder to sustain it. And part of the reason is two things. Uh, you know, back whenever we were, we were moving up, right. And we were kind of that, um, you know, on that Roy bus working our way up, you know, we didn't have a target on our backs, right? We, we, we were the ones that were, were, uh, aiming for the, the big dogs and they had the target on their back, right? We were coming for them. And so when you become, uh, at the top and you're trying to sustain a high level of success, well, then you've got that bullseye on your back. And everybody you play, right, that their whole season is if they can beat you. And so the combination of that and then also, you know, trying to, to keep that team hungry, staff hungry, everybody, like that, that's, that's a challenge that's in, you know, every sport and every, uh, but, and that's why I think it's incredible, uh, what Coach Sweeney has done at Clemson. I mean, last season was the 12th season in a row with 10 or more wins. Like that, that is yeah. unheard of. I think there's only been three streaks like that in the history of college football, right? And, and I actually, uh, gave a speech, uh, last week down in Orangeburg, uh, to the touchdown club for coach Willie Jeffries and coach Buddy Pugh, 
which those two uh, are a lot of fun to be around. But uh, as I was preparing for that talk, you know, I looked up, I believe we played uh, football uh, at Clemson maybe for 121 years, and we've had 16 years uh, in our history where we've won 10 or more games. Well, 12 of those 16 years happened the last 12 years. That's crazy. Right? So before that, there was only four years. And so I think it was in um, uh, 2010, 11, right there, when we won uh, 10 games for the first time in 21 years. And so to do that for 12 years in a row is absolutely incredible. I mean, that, that's one of the, in my opinion, uh, biggest accomplishments you know, that Coach Sweeney uh, and this, this program have had because that's we, we can all look back over the last 10 or 15 years and, at programs that had that one big national championship season, and then within two years, they're back at 500, right? But to be able to keep that year after year after year, you know, for, for 12 years is uh, incredible, especially uh, in this new era of college football where we are. You were obviously around your dad and Florida State. You have a pretty good recall of 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 that sort of dynastic run um, from eighty seven to two thousand. What it, what is it? Top five each year? It's a yeah. fourteen straight yeah. top five <laughs> finishes. Yeah, top, uh, top five every year, and I think they they won every bowl game. Um, you know that they were in there during that stretch. And if they would have had the college football playoff with at least four teams back then, then Bobby Bowden and Florida oh, yeah. State would have won, you know, three or four national championships because they had great teams, but they would lose to Miami, who would have a great team, you know, on a, a, a field goal wide right and wide left and all that. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a incredible run as well. I'm just curious, like, I mean, if you would have told anybody around here, circa 2008 2009 or even 2012 hey there's going to be something similar happening here over the next decade nobody would have believed you i'm curious <laughs> with, with the perspective and context uh you had from from the time at florida state in particular and particularly the perspective your dad had being a part of it do you remember the point when you said okay this is going to be this has the chance to be a total powerhouse rivaling uh what happened in Tallahassee do you have a, a recall of that of when you when when it when it went from hey man Dabo's a incredibly charismatic coach and I love sure. him and, and he has all these great ideas when did it go from that to oh man th- this right. this could be something really 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 special well, if I go back to the very beginning, and I, I like to tell this story a lot because with all the success that Clemson's had, uh, very few people probably even remember this, and a lot of people may be too young to remember it. But October 13th, 2008 is, you know, when, when Coach Bowden uh, finished at Clemson and Coach Sweeney took over as the interim head coach. Uh, I was a graduate assistant actually working with the defense uh, for that season. And Coach Sweeney called me uh, that day at, at lunch and said, what you doing? I said, well, I'm down here at Firehouse Subs downtown getting subs <laughs> for the defensive coaches because uh, that's what you do as a GA, graduate assistant. And uh, he said, well, you need to hurry on back. So I came back to, to meet with him. He told me what had happened. And he said he was going to make me the interim wide receivers coach for the rest of the year. And he said, even though people on the outside, you know, don't believe that he could get this job, he said, we're going to get this job. And he said, when we do, I'm going to keep you as my wideouts coach. 
And I mean, he, he had me, I was so fired up. I mean, here, this is, I, I knew how hard being around college football my whole life. I knew how hard it was to be able to get a full-time role at a, at a school like Clemson. And then the fact that it's my alma mater where Sarah and I went to school. I mean, I'm all fired up. I go home late that night and tell my wife all about it. It's like 1130 at night and we're watching TV. And right before we go to bed across the ESPN ticker, it said Clemson wide receivers coach Dabo Sweeney named interim head coach today. And it went on and said zero of the last 29 <laughs> mid-season interim head coaches have gone on to be named full-time head coach in college football history. And I remember after all that excitement, I looked at my wife and I'm like, all right, well, here we go. You know, one out of 30, you know, that's better <laughs> odds than the lottery. Right. And so I would say at the very beginning, watching him, and, you know, he didn't have any – I wasn't in his very first meeting with the players that night that he had. It, it was really him and the players only, and that's when he kind of gave that all-in speech where, hey, I, I need you to be all-in for what we're going to do the, the second half of the season. If you're not all-in, then, hey, no problem. Just go to class and, you know, you don't have to show up to football the rest of the year. And um, so watching him during that season when the odds were stacked against him – that's when I knew something was really, really different. My other memory that I had that I thought was uh, pretty incredible, and I really hadn't shared this story before. So, I mean, I was smart enough to know there's six games left. You know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't replace the head coach and then hire uh, the receivers coach, right, to be your, your next head coach, right? And coach Bowden, I believe, had been at Clemson you know, for a little bit over seven years. And so I knew, you know, and you hear everybody that Clemson's flying to see who the targets are. So I knew deep down, I said, we've got to win four of these last six games for Coach Sweeney to have any chance to get this job. We can't go three and three because we were three and three uh, there at the midpoint. And so we got to go, we got to go four and two at minimum for him to get the job. And so we had the open week and then, um, you know, we uh, get ready. We play Georgia Tech, which is a game that we could have won. Right, and, and we lose to Georgia Tech, and we're 0-1. And, and then we're going to play a, a pretty good Boston College team the next next week. And I remember thinking about that as, I mean, I was 27, 28. And I remember saying, if we lose this Boston College game, we start off 0-2, then we're probably done, right? Yeah. They're, they're going to bring a new guy in, and, you know, I'm going to go back coaching high school football and say, hey, I, I took my chance, and it just didn't work out. And I remember there was about seven or eight minutes left in the game. Boston College scored to go up by four, I believe. And I remember I was up in the box, and there was this long you know, TV timeout. And I remember just thinking to myself, you know, the next seven and a half minutes of this game <laughs> is probably going to determine the next 25 years of my coaching career. I remember that, that thought in my mind. And, you know, luckily they kicked it off to C.J. Spiller. He took it back to about the 25 and – and then, uh, you know, we, we hit Aaron Kelly, I believe, for a touchdown there in the end zone, and, and we win the game, and that was win number one. And so I, I couldn't tell you that I knew at that point that we were going to be on this dynasty run, but what I could say is I was aware enough after, you know, being around Florida State for all those years to be able to recognize something that's different. And what I've told people for many years is that Coach Sweeney re reminded me so much and still to this day of a modern day version of Bobby Bowden. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, he loves his players, right? He, everybody he talks, everybody he sees out in the community, he'll speak to them. 
And you don't see that a lot of times with high-profile college coaches. They're trying to get in and out of schools. And, I mean, I, I can remember going to visit T. Higgins and, you know, one of the, the rivals, uh, their in-state school, their head coach came. And, you know, he, he had uh, a special section down there near the bench of T's basketball game that was roped off with, like, police tape. And then that coach sat right in the middle so nobody would come up to him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Coach Sweeney and I are sitting in the stands with T's mom and sister, and Coach Sweeney's <laughs> signing autographs for the entire 30 minutes and taking pictures and kissing babies. And so I, I, I knew early on, and my dad obviously had a great perspective being around both of them. I said, there's something special about Coach Sweeney. And uh, so, you know, we ended up winning four of the last six games. Obviously, he gets the job. The, the other thing that really sticks out to me is how Coach Sweeney has always led, uh, you know, with a positive mindset. And I can remember after his second full season as being head coach, right? Because 09, we had a, a pretty good year, lost in the ACC championship year and championship game. And then I believe it was 10, uh, we have a disappointing season and, and lose to, ironically, lose to South Florida there in Charlotte. And I can remember being on the bus after that game and just really down. And, and obviously I knew there was a lot of chatter with fans and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, I think Twitter had really just come out with the last year or two, and I was looking at some stuff, and I came across Coach Sweeney's comments in postgame. And Coach Sweeney had said, here we are, we're starting a new decade, and we've laid a great foundation, and obviously we hadn't had the success you know, this season that we want. He said, but mark this down, we're going to look back at this decade, and it's going to be the best decade in the history of Clemson football. And I can remember even as a coach looking at that on the bus like, does he really believe this? <laughs> like, does he really? I mean, again, I'm on the inside, and it's not like I didn't think we were going to have, but I'm just sitting there more of a realist, like, where does he get this from? <laughs> and, and then you look back and go, dang, he was right. And, and I know when he said that, I didn't know at the time, but now after being around him, you know, for the next nine or 10 years after that, he definitely believed that when he said that. He said that with conviction. So I think there were there were those signs along the way that I could tell, just like I could tell watching, you know, Coach Bowden walk in a locker room and talk to the players. There's a genuine love, genuine relationship, a guy with a plan that's confident in what he's doing. And um, so I, I definitely would say, you know, that some of those stories, I kind of laugh looking back, but, you know, now there's, you know, young kids that are in high school or whatever, and, you know, that maybe I would talk to in recruiting. They they have no recollection of what it was like for Clemson and for Coach Sweeney there in 08, 09, and, and 2010. You know, they just kind of see what's developed today. Upstate folks, and particularly Clemson area folks, there's a great tradition that's been going on recently in Westminster. The Music on Main free music festival in downtown Westminster. I can vouch for it, having played there and also attended on several occasions. It's put on by the Westminster Music Center, a nonprofit organization with the mission of promoting the joy of live music in the community. Saturday, October 21st, will feature two bands, the Songs from the Road Touring Band and my band, Amongst the Trees, although I won't be there because I have to work. There's a football game that day. Classic car show starts at 3, concert starts at 5. More info, go to westminstermusiccenter.org. Upstate foodies, want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and & Gun, and Food & Wine Magazine 
magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails. Super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willie Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willie way. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. There were obviously a lot of special moments in 11, 12, 13. You know, the LSU, uh, of course, um, conquest at the end of the 12 season, then Ohio State in 13. But my moment when I thought greatness was coming, you know, beyond just being really good, it was the Russell Athletic Bowl against Oklahoma in 14. Um, And it's because uh, Deshaun obviously was going into surgery. And I think even most Clemson fans were like, yeah, we're not really expecting much out of this game. And you guys go down there. Oh, and by the way, game one with uh, the, the Jeff Scott, Tony <laughs> right. Elliott offensive coordinator uh, arrangement. And you guys just absolutely demolished those guys. And that's that was my moment. I, I guess a lot of other people will probably identify the LSU, uh, you know, Ohio State, whatever. But I just – that told me – this program is made of some really, really strong and relentless stuff. Yeah, that that uh, definitely uh, was one of the highlights of, of my time at Clemson, and, and it's pretty unique that you would come up with that because not many people uh, really recognize that because it's easier with some of the other, uh, you know, big wins or maybe even bigger stages. But uh, you're exactly right. I mean, Deshaun had, uh, you know, just. Uh, was going to have to have surgery after the South Carolina game and coach Morris who you know we loved and who did a great job at Clemson you know left that Sunday to go to SMU and you know um, didn't really know what was going to happen there and coach Sweeney you know called myself in and Tony Elliott in and decided he was going to make us co-offensive coordinators which is not really what either of us were expecting at the time and uh, but he said you know if I hire one of you and not the other then I'm going to lose the other one pretty soon mm. And he also said, I think both of you guys are going to be head coaches. And when one of you gets a head coaching job, I'll still have my, one of my offense coordinators still here. So he was really smart, I think, in that, uh, that time. But I definitely remember, uh, the combination of Deshaun being out for the game uh, with an ACL and, um, you know, Coach Morris leaving. Uh, and playing a really good Oklahoma. I, I can't remember exactly what the deal was, but I remember there was some ESPN deal where Oklahoma was, you know, 92% chance of winning the game <laughs> or something crazy like that, right? And, uh, you know, the message that Tony and I had for the offense, because we went and met with them maybe the, the day after Coach Sweeney named us uh, co-offensive coordinators, and, 
you know, obviously they just lost their coordinator and Coach Morris, who they all loved. And obviously Deshaun had a, a great finish there to his freshman year with a big win over South Carolina for the first time in five years. And, uh, you know, our message that Tony and I gave to that offense is, hey, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't the Chad Morris offense. This isn't going to be the Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott offense. This is the Clemson offense, right? And, and this offense is, is bigger than any one person. And uh, we love Deshaun, but this offense is, is bigger than Deshaun. This is about everybody in this room coming together and, uh, you know, showing that, that the show's going to go on. And, uh, I think it was, it was awesome watching that prep. Obviously, Cole Stout, uh, did a great job and, um, you know, in, in that game. But I mean, there, there was a hunger, uh, of that offense to really show that we were bigger than any one player or one coach. And, uh, I think, um, over those next five years that Tony and I were able to, to work together in that leadership role, I think we coached 85 games and we went 80 and five, wow. uh, which was absolutely incredible. But one thing that I, I think a lot of the success, there was a lot of talented players in that offense for those five years. Uh, and, and obviously people say, well, obviously you had success because of that. But really what I'm saying is it can become a challenge when you have seven receivers that all deserve to get the ball and three running backs that all deserve to get the ball, right, and multiple quarterbacks. And I think what Tony and I were able to do was sh maybe lead by example and show them that, hey, it's not about any one person, right? A lot of times you see these coordinators that are trying to make a name for themselves and, and market themselves or whatever. And they were able to see how Tony and I shared those duties. Neither of us were trying to stand in front of the media and, and take credit for anything that had gone on, you know, and I think that carried over to those players. And I saw a lot of unselfishness from those guys, which allowed us to be able to continue having success and, um, you know, so that, that definitely was a, a special win. And, and also the very first play of that game going for a touchdown, uh, was pretty awesome. But one of my favorite pictures that I have is, uh, from late in the fourth quarter of that game when, uh, Coach Sweeney came over and, uh, grabbed me and Tony and, uh, just kind of hugged us right there. And, uh, that was pretty awesome because, you know, I think, Obviously, at the time of the success that Clemson had had, you know, Coach Sweeney very well could have, and most head coaches probably would have gone out. But I mean, we were paying Coach Morris over a million dollars, so we had the budget to go out and, and hire one of the the biggest names OC around the country. But he really, you know, believed in both Tony and myself to give us that opportunity, and for us to have success in that very first game, I think uh, really kind of kicked off that, you know, next uh, four or five years, we were able to do that together. One of the most fascinating stories, you mentioned that South Carolina game with Deshaun on one leg. I, I can't remember the precise details, but he had, he had injured, he had suffered the injury at Georgia Tech, um, and I guess it was an old knee injury he had that went back to high school. I could be getting this wrong. The next week against Georgia State, Cole Stout plays the whole game, I believe, and at the time, I think it was pretty much – it was announced that, that Deshaun was out. I can't really recall, but I'm just curious for your recollection behind the scenes, 
because it was definitely a surprise when Deshaun rolled out there, <laughs> limped out there, I should say, well, against South Carolina. Well, Just what was he, the inside uh, accounting of how, how yeah, that went down? Well, you, you're going to like this story because uh, I found out probably about 10 minutes after you found out that Deshaun had played on a torn ACL. So I knew that he had been hurt, but that week in practice, and I can't remember exactly, it seems like maybe we had a a rare open week or something before South Carolina, but maybe not. I can't remember exactly, but I remember Deshaun did not practice. We knew he had a knee injury, but it, you know, he was going to continue to try to play. And that Monday and Tuesday in practice, definitely that Monday, I saw him running with the trainer, but he wasn't with us. I think Cole was taking all the reps. Tuesday, he ran with the trainer some and then maybe came over with us some. And then Wednesday, he practiced with us the whole time. Thursday, he practiced with us. And we just assumed that he was good. So we go in, we play the game, we beat South Carolina for the first time in five years. And I don't, I don't normally do this because after the game, I normally have recruits and, and you're trying to you know see them a little bit and then go home with your family. But that one was such a, a big win because, again, we'd been after that for five years. So I had some Clemson buddies that had a, a place over at the Tiger Den across from the stadium uh, next to the, behind the SO. And so I went over to the Tiger Den uh, to see them and celebrate with them a little bit. And while I'm over there talking to them, one of them comes up and says, <laughs> Uh, did you know Deshaun hadn't played on tour in ACL? I said, no, he didn't. He said, yeah, he did. I said, no, he didn't. I would know that. He was like, no, Coach Sweeney just said in the press conference that he did. I'm like, no way. So I immediately pick up the phone and call Coach Morris. And I think the only people that knew about it is Coach Sweeney, Coach Morris, Deshaun, and Deshaun's mom. And I'm pretty sure, again, I wasn't in the details, but I'm pretty sure – Deshaun and his mom, you know, were the ones that were really pushing for him to be able to play. And and I think it was a situation uh, where he'd already torn the ACL and there wasn't anything more he could have damaged. So kind of see if he can do it type deal. But also what I remember about Deshaun, and this is a story I haven't really shared a whole lot, but this is where I, after watching him have success in that game and lead us to be, you know, to stop that, that, uh, horrible streak there that we had for a little while. What I remember is, you know, 11 months earlier, uh, actually in January of, of uh, Deshaun's freshman year, it was just like the middle of January. And I don't think I've told this story very much. It's the middle of January. It's a Saturday night. It's cold. And I'm going to meet Garrett Williams, who was a high school recruit, later came to play tight end for us. I'm going to meet Garrett and his family who are driving up from Florida, their first visit to Clemson. And I told them to meet me at, at the rock at death Valley at the rock top of the hill. And it was going to be like 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, middle of January. And I were, it was freezing cold. So I get there, you know, 45 minutes early to make sure I can unlock the gate and have everything ready. And the lights are out in the stadium. There's maybe just one, you know, uh, one kind of a little uh, light board that was up, but really it was dark. And I look down in the stadium again, 10 o'clock at night, Saturday night in January, and I see two people running around in, in the dark. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are like two fraternity kids, you know, that are out <laughs> here just having a time, you know, playing football in Death Valley. And so I walk down the hill to, to kind of get closer 
to be able to see, you know, who it is because I'm going to try to get them out of there before, you know, the recruit gets here. And uh, as I walked down there, it I, I recognized it was Deshaun Watson and Artavis Scott. Mm. And they had literally just got to school a week earlier, and they don't see me. I see them, but they don't see me. So I watched them for probably 30 minutes. And what they had, they had the playbook in the middle of the field, and their phone is the flashlight. So they would run to the middle of the field, look at a play, and then they would go out and they would run the play. And Deshaun would throw it to Artavis. And I don't know how he could see the ball. Maybe it was a full moon or something, just barely enough light. And so they, they'd actually run the play. Then they'd run back, and they repeated that probably 15 to 20 times in the 30 minutes I'm watching. And I just remember at that time going, now that's different right there. Most college kids, especially high-profile guys, whatever, they get to college first time Saturday night in January. They're they're out, you know, looking for a good time. And here are two guys on their own, you know, out here running plays in the dark. And so 11 months later, you know, watching Deshaun and Artavis have success against South Carolina, you know, I went back in my mind that this is what happens when you put in the work behind the scenes, right? And uh, so that that was really, uh, you know, what I remember about that game. But yeah, truthfully, uh, I did not know about it during the game. I found out from some fans after the game uh, when Coach Sweeney told the media, and uh, that was pretty special. But the last piece on that is I know Deshaun said when he came to Clemson, you know, he wanted to to change that that streak, and uh, and and he definitely did uh, playing out there on a torn ACL. The only time I can recall Dabo weeping after a game, he and he might he probably shed some tears after the championships. But the the most emotional I can recall him, and I could be missing some some, but was after that South Carolina game. You could see the weight lifted off of his shoulders from that streak. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, because the, the strange thing about it, we had had some really good years, like those yep. those seasons. You know, we we went to to big bowl games and all that, and uh, would win the ACC, but. You know, for whatever reason, in South Carolina, got to give them credit. They had really good teams those years, and Coach Spurrier did a really good job. But um, we couldn't ever kind of get that together. And, I mean, obviously, living in this state, uh, you want to be on top of that rivalry. And uh, so that, that was definitely uh, pretty awesome uh, right there to be able to get that uh, turned the other way. My surface-level recollection of your best recruiting conquests and the best stories behind those conquests would be Justin Ross. Is that what the one that sticks out to you or, or is there another one? And just, I want to hear, I want to hear the behind the scenes on the most interesting <laughs> one. All right. Yeah. I, I got one. That's the most interesting one right here. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of them. I could, I could talk for three hours on some crazy stuff behind the scenes, but my best story is, and I don't know if I've told this one publicly or not, um, but uh, was with Tony Stewart, and, and obviously Tony, you know, battled a lot of injuries whenever he got here. Uh, but he was the number one linebacker in the country, and uh, from right there in St. Augustine. So I mean, he's two hours from Florida State, and Florida State <clears throat> at that time when he was being recruited <clears throat> was probably above us uh, in the amount of success they were having. And so everybody assumed that that's where he was going because there's a long line of way back from when my dad was recruiting. Jacksonville for Florida State. That, that was a pipeline. And so he was the five-star, number one linebacker in the country. And uh, so, I mean, I got started on him as a maybe a 10th grader. 
So I've got two two years invested in this, and he's going to be coming to Clemson for his very first visit, and it's in the summer uh, going into his senior year. And so uh, he was coming, and he was going to stay uh, at the Martin Inn right there on campus. And so, again, um, you know, he was going to get in around midnight uh, driving up uh, with his, his high school coach, uh, from Florida. Uh, he was going to get there at midnight. Well, most coaches, right, would say, okay, well, I know you've already got your room. I'll, I'll meet you the next morning at eight o'clock, right? Well, no, like I'm looking for every edge possible for him to know how big of a priority he is to me and to, to our football program. So I decide I'm going to stay up. I'm, I'm not normally a, a, uh, stay up late at night. I usually like to get to bed a little earlier, but I go over there. So I get there at uh, 1130 and I'm texting with this high school coach who's driving up. So I know they're going to show up about midnight. So I get to the uh, hotel there at the Martin Inn, Madron Center at 1130 and walk up there. You know, there's one guy working behind the desk and he said, can I help you? I said, well, I'm here waiting on a recruit that's coming in, uh, you know, Tony Stewart, uh, he'll be here in about 30 minutes. And I just want to make sure he gets in. Everything's good. And he said, Oh, no, Mr. Stewart, he, he checked in, uh, about 20 minutes ago. I said, No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I said, uh, I just talked to his coach. They're 30 minutes away. He said, This is for the, you know, Clemson ath- athletics football, right? Uh, Tony Stewart. I said, Yeah. He said, Oh, yeah. He checked in about 20 minutes ago. And I said, Sir, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, well, actually, he got the last room. So Clemson was having a baseball regional. I don't know if it's a super regional going on, but it was a, a regional going on, and all the hotel rooms were booked. And he said that, that Tony got the last room. And I said, no, he didn't. I literally, he's not here yet. And he said, yeah, he is. And so he said, you know, he's about this tall, which was shorter than Tony. You know, you know, basically like a 5'8" white guy yeah i'm like no that's not him <laughs> and he said well he came in and said he had uh, athletics had a room for him i'm like oh no and so he's like yeah that's i said well do you have any other rooms he said no that's absolutely my last room i said well he's not supposed to have that room because i got a guy that's going to be here now in 15 minutes and that's his room so i said uh <laughs> you know can you give me can you help me go find out whatever so I, he, I go up there to the guy's room. I'm banging on the door for literally like five minutes. <laughs> I'm not hearing it. And then finally I hear a little kind of like, ah, you know, something like that. <laughs> I knock on it. And this guy opens the door and he is absolutely gone. I mean, he's, he spent a lot of time at the SO, whatever. Oh he is, he is completely gone. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, Hey, and uh, I was like, you, this is not your room. I said, this room belongs to a Clemson recruit, and uh, I need you to leave. And so he kind of just doesn't say anything. He shuts the door, so I knock on it again. And he he opens the door, and he says, uh, you a coach? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, I got a question for you. He's, and I said, okay. And he said something like, is Kyle Parker going to be our quarterback next year? And I said, I tell you what, if you get your stuff and get in this elevator with me, I will tell you in the elevator. So he gets his stuff, and literally all he had was his wallet, and I'm, like, helping him down the hall, right? I mean, he's he's gone. I'm helping him down the hall. I get him in the elevator, and I don't remember what I told him about Kyle Parker. I think Kyle was already our starter or something. I said, yeah. And so I, I tell the guy at the front desk, you need to call this guy a cab. And he said, where is he taking him? I said, I don't know, and I don't care. Call him a cab. So the guy's sitting there, 
And so now I'm telling the guy at the front desk, like, hey, dude, this guy's going to be here in 10 minutes. And we got to get new sheets on this bed. <laughs> and so the guy behind the desk is like, well, I'm the only one here. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what, you know, and so it was, I was like thinking to myself, I'm not going to make these sheets. So I said, why don't you, I told him, if if you go make the, change the bed out and change out the towels and all that, I'll watch the front desk. So now I'm standing behind the front desk, watching this drunk guy sit on the couch, waiting for a cab to come. And finally, you know, 10 minutes later, the cab comes. I get him into the cab. And as soon as the cab leaves, Tony Stewart and his coach get out of the car. And I act like everything's great. Tony, how you doing, man? Great to see you. Hey, I got you right here. And so we, we walk in. And right as we're walking in the lobby, the uh, the guy working at the Martin Inns, you know, just walking out of the elevator and hands me the key. It's like, here you go. You know, uh, Tony, got your room up there all ready for you. And Tony never knew anything about it. But all I could think about was if I would not have done that little oh, extra man. by going to that hotel room, then he would have shown up with his coach and they would have said, no, we don't have any more rooms. And I remember there were no rooms. I mean, it was like Anderson or Greenville. And the, co the high school coach probably would not have tried to call me at midnight, right? Or if I was asleep and couldn't answer, I would have woke up the next morning and I would have learned that they'd had to drive back to Greenville and it would have been game over. You yep. know what I mean? And so but that, that's those are just those memories behind the scenes when as a coach, you know, you got to do and I've got five more just like that. But that was one of the, the funniest ones where I had to talk a drunk guy out of the room get him dead. I still have no idea where they took him. Uh, hopefully he was okay. Uh, but as soon as he left, Tony walks in and, and, and everything was good. So that, that's probably one of the, the craziest uh, stories that I have. Jeff, is the lesson or is a big part of the lesson as Clemson folks are trying to assess where they are right now, as you look back to the, the sort of golden era between 15 and 20, in the moment, it felt like, oh, this is going to just keep going forever. Um, and certainly a lot of folks started to take it for granted naturally. It's just human nature. Is part of the lesson in assessing where they are now, sort of how they got here and where they go from here, is a significant part of that, hey, like the combination, like the stars aligned so much <laughs> for that run, right. not just generational talent, at quarterback, which almost never happens, basically having back-to-back -back generational right. guys, but not just generational guys at receiver, but also the guys who developed, who were one stars, two stars, three stars, who were basically five stars by the end of their career. Should that be a part of the lesson for Clemson fans in that, hey, you better treasure that star aligning type of thing when, it's, when, when, when you're going through it because it almost never happens? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the big uh, point of all of that is, man, it's really hard to do, right? It's hard to do, and then it's harder to duplicate, you yeah. know, in, in my mind. Uh, that's extremely, extremely hard. But, you know, I, I kind of go back to what I talked about earlier, you know, the fact that, you know, we've had 12 seasons in a row with 10 or more wins. I mean, I don't think that's fully respected the way that it probably should be. And until, you know, 10 or 15 years down the road and we really get some perspective to look back, you know, at this incredible run that, that Clemson has had and is, is still on. I um, mean, I think it's 
there, there's so many things that go in it, obviously, so many different uh, dynamics. And then, I mean, we're in a changing world right now, right, in college athletics, college football, uh, so many things. And I think we're still probably in some of the – I think we're in the first half, right, uh, of – these new changes and what everything's going to look like. And so, um, you know, it's hard to, to have stability at a very high level when there's a lot of things changing around, right. And in different circumstances. Uh, But, you know, I I have obviously a lot of people ask me, you know, about Clemson and, and, and how things are going. And and what I tell them is, I mean, as long as coach Sweeney's the head coach, he's going to find a way to win because that's just who he is. And, you know, he, he's always, one, doing it a little different way. I mean, I, I can remember whenever it was seven or eight years ago, I mean, there was a narrative out there that it was the SEC and then everybody else and that little old Clemson is not going to be able to compete with these SEC teams, with, with all of this, the money they had and all these things. And Coach Sweeney never never really got occupied with that. He never bought into that. He just really focused on Clemson and and building the program in the way that he wanted to, that maybe from the outside was a little unusual uh, from maybe the mainstream media or, or, or national narratives. And I have full confidence he's doing that and will continue to do that even during these changing times. I mean, he is – he is so smart, and I think that's what a lot of people might not know if you're not around him, but being literally by his side for 12 straight years, I mean, he, he is he is uh, one of the, the smartest coaches that I've ever been around. He just has a, a great feel, and uh, he may do it in a little different way than other people are doing it, but he's always going to find that success for Clemson, and, and um, you know, that that's what – what he enjoys doing. And I think it's been awesome kind of watching that, you know, for, for all these years, but the big lesson is man, enjoy uh, all of these moments because they're, they're not guaranteed. Right. And um, it's extremely hard to do. And I think it's going to be harder in this new environment with the, the transfer portal and NIL. I mean, you're already seeing it right now. You know, it's hard to keep a lot of good players on one team. You know, I go back to maybe the wide receiver room that I had in 2013, 2014. I mean, I, I've got a picture where I've got six guys sitting on the bench, and um, and it's really taken from the back, uh, looking at you know, looking at their backs. And I, I use that picture down the road in recruiting, and I put every NFL logo for where those guys were drafted. I mean, six guys that all went to the NFL on the same team. And I don't, I don't, uh, you know, wide receiver group on the same team. I don't know if that's even possible in this new era of college football with the portal, with NIL. You know, so I think you're going to see uh, it be more difficult to kind of have dynasty runs for some of the top teams because you know the the talent is probably getting spread out a little bit more. And you know, truthfully, for college football, it may be a good thing as far as parity, but for really people used to having those uh, dynasty runs. I think it's going to be harder and harder to do that on a consistent basis uh, with the uh, normalization of guys moving around until they you know, kind of become that starter uh, where they want to be. We are headed quickly toward collective bargaining, uh, players 
officially being paid. I mean, I guess they're unofficially being paid already, most of them. Um, I mean, it's a, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. The, when the Supreme Court basically says the whole amateurism model is bunk, I mean, you're just not going back. Do you think that Dabo has the stomach for that type of, of model that, that actually is the collective bargaining and all that? Well, I think I know that Coach Sweeney has the. You're asking, does he have the stomach? I know he has the mind to find a way to keep the culture that he and so many people have worked so hard to create, and still be successful in any new environment like you're talking about, right? And again, he may do it in a little bit different way, uh, but absolutely, um, you know, I, I have full confidence. That he'll be able to do that. I think right now that the challenging thing right now is, I mean, there, there's no like set rules and set plan. And there's a lot of uh, uh, gray area, if you will, with the the, um, the NIL stuff. Right. And I mean, you, you have coaches that are actively because within the rules or whatever they interpret the rules or how their school interprets the rules, I mean, they're raising money to go sign players, yeah. right? And so, I mean, you're, you're literally NIL, right? Now it's legal, you know? And I think that's a little bit of the frustration, and I can't speak for Coach Sweeney, but I can speak for myself, is, I mean, we took a lot of pride in proving that you could win at the highest level and you could have a – national championship roster, national championship team, but by doing the doing it the right way and, and following the rules. And when other people that we were competing against years ago for some of these top players, they were not following the rules. And there there was there was cash and cars and all these things that that uh maybe was being, you know, uh given to players. And Coach Sweeney would always uh tell us as a staff I would rather lose doing it the right way than to win and know that I didn't. And I remember before that first national championship, you know, that, that we won there in Tampa, you know, probably two years before that, he said, hey, I would rather it take us another two or three years before we get to the top doing it the right way than to take a shortcut because I don't want any of us and I don't want our fans or anybody around the program to wake up the next morning after the national championship and hear that we took some shortcut. So I think for us being able to um, prove that you could still, uh, you know, recruit at a high level and have a, a big time program uh, following the rules, and then now everything is shifted where you, you you know it's easier to recruit by giving players inducements. And you know I know for myself, and I believe Coach Sweeney, he doesn't have a problem at all with players being able to, to receive, um, you know, money or, or those type of things. But I, I think for me, it's the, the, the true pay for play and whoever wants to, to pay a guy the most is where that kid's going to go play. I'm not sure that's the best for the young man and, or best for the school, because, you know, if you think about it this way, I remember with a lot of these top receivers that I coached that would go to the NFL you know, you're always trying to educate them, you know, maybe their last year or two that you have them and just try to tell them about, hey, you're going to be making a lot of money uh, one day. And I mean, I, I knew with Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, I knew they were going to make a lot of money pretty early in their careers. And I would always just try to talk to them about that. But in the NFL, there's so many players that their first contract 
they go spend all their money. And if you ask them why, they'll tell you that, hey, I'm going to get a bigger contract, my second contract in three years. This is my play money. That's going to be my big money that I'm going to save for my family. And then obviously, you know, the NFL average is whatever it is, you know, less than three years. And many of them don't make it to that second contract. So now if you're giving, you know, players, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars as a freshman, you know, do we really think that they're putting this in the bank uh, in a CD for five years? No. I mean, they in their mind, they're going to make their big money in three years when they go to the NFL, and then they're going to make their bigger money in three years when they get that next contract. And uh, and so that's kind of the the uh, maybe a, a part that is not great. And then I'll, I'll make this comment too. Uh, at South Florida, we were playing a game, a game last year against uh, a, a really big team, uh, well-known, big conference, all of that. And we were having some success, and and my left guard started talking a little bit of trash to the the nose guard or D tackle for this other big time team because uh, we were moving around a little bit, and my guy was just talking some noise to him, and and uh, that D tackle for that other team, he told him in, in between plays, this isn't important to me. I'm rich. I already made how much ever money. That, that's why I do this. This game doesn't mean nothing to me. And that guy later on told me that story. And I go, you know, you can look at, it's not very hard to look around college football, even last year. Some of the teams that reportedly had some of the biggest NIL and the most money and see them not even going to bowls. And part of me wonders, even with some of those great wideouts that I had, they were all great young men. I mean, they showed up every day with an edge to get better because they knew not only for their team to have success, but for them personally to get their mom out of uh, uh, where she's working three jobs, you know, they needed to make it. And I just wonder if you're giving, you know, a young man $100,000 or $200,000 as a freshman, do they show up with that edge the next three years that it really takes to develop and not just be great potential, but turn into a true star? And now I look back and, you know, I look at Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, and these guys have made close to $100 million. You know, what if those guys would have been given 100000 in college, you know, and that could have potentially cost them that $100 million that they ended up getting. So, anyway, that, that's that's a challenge with it. You know, I, I would love to see them. And I think what you said is exactly right. The toothpaste is out of the tube. That's not going back. I do agree that there is enough money now in college athletics and college football that the players do should should receive uh, more than than maybe just the scholarship that they've been given. I think that that um, you know when people these conferences are signing seven year seven billion dollar deals, uh, you know I think the players do um, uh, should be able to get some of that. But h- how can we do it in a way um, where uh, it's not a negative for them and then really the biggest concern that i have is is guys making decisions on where they're going to school purely off of the nil i mean i I talked to a couple coaching buddies at big schools and and they lost a kid to another rival school that never visited that school Mm. but the day before signing date he got a call and a big offer for nil and he signed with the other school and he never touched foot on their campus at all but it was purely because of that that dollar figure, 
Um, and then the other thing that I think is unique and where I think we're ultimately going with the shared revenue piece um, is if you look at coaches that are in the, the, the Big Ten, there's been a lot of comments over the last few months uh, that I, I've seen where these coaches are talking about, you know, they would like to see shared revenue for their players. And uh, I think there, there's a couple reasons behind that. One reason is, you know, no head coach likes to go out directly to boosters and raise money for NIL. Yep. Right. Because in the past, they would talk to boosters, but you'd be raising money for your program. But now, just imagine if you're a head coach and you pick up the phone and call a booster, which I don't know if it's legal or not legal because it's so gray, and say, hey, I've got this five-star quarterback that we could get to come to our team. I think he could change our program and help us win a championship. Would you give me 700, would you give him 750,000 for him to come to school? Right. Well, then that said quarterback comes to school. And then what happens is freshman year, if he doesn't pan out, well, guess what? That booster is mad at that coach because you told me this kid was going to win us a championship. So now that booster who has been giving millions to the university, he might not want to give any money anymore to the university because of that interaction of what just happened there. So I think what some of these Big Ten coaches are seeing is, hey, we're about to get a new deal coming up next year that's going to give us another 20 or $30 million a year, rather than us have to go out and, and raise you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars from our boosters and then be held accountable for every guy that we told them that we wanted them to give money to, right? Let's just cut to the chase and give those players that 15 million out of that extra 25, 30 million that we're getting per school. So you're going to see, in my opinion, you're going to see that some of the coaches supporting the mm -hmm. share revenue because it's going to lessen uh, the significance of NIL and the work. Because the coach, the head coach's job is already completely maxed out. His time is maxed out without trying to do this underground NIL world. And the other thing that I think could come from the shared revenue is, and again, this is just my gut feeling. This is not with any inside knowledge because nobody really knows truthfully but I, th I think the shared revenue is coming, and my prediction is the next 24 to 36 months, it'll be here. But I also think when that comes, there's going to be contracts. Mm -hmm. Because right now, we're in an unsustainable position where the players can get an NIL deal. But then, you know, I use this analogy. What, what if you, you sign a guy, he comes, he has a great freshman year. Say he's a star running back, has a great freshman year. He comes to you in January and says, hey, my high school coach just told me that college coach from you know College X said they'd pay me $500,000 if I get in the portal and leave, right? Well, then that head coach where he is says, okay, I'll get you the money. So he makes some calls. He gets a $500,000 deal for posting Instagram, one Instagram post, right? Well, then the next week he could come back and say, hey, coach, you won't believe this. But another school called my coach, and they're going to give me six hundred. That like <laughs> there is no end to it. Like there's no, there, and and that's not the real world. There's no job where you just go get, you know, all of this income, but you could leave at any moment, right? So I think with the NFL, you look at the NFL model, right, which is we're headed towards some version of that. I could see a scenario where the kids and the schools could decide the length of the contract. So you could sign a guy out of high school. And you could say, hey, we're going to do a one-year deal or we're going to do a three-year deal. And the kid could decide, 
no, I want to do a two-year deal. I think you're going to see some of that. The other thing that I think when you get to shared revenue that's going to be a problem is I think the school presidents are going to have a problem when uh, 85 players on that football team are making on average $200,000 a year and their average professor on campus is yeah. making, you know, 90000 a year. So I think we could see something. Again, this is just me completely, you know, daydreaming about it. I think we could see some version where the athletic department kind of becomes a separate business. So it's an affiliate of the university, but it's not directly underneath the university, you know, from a legal perspective. And then that, that can help uh, that, uh, you know, athletic department to be able to make the decisions they want and the, the college presidents not have to be, you know, responsible for that. And then the last thing I would say, I could see a potential model where the mo money is coming directly from the conferences or even from the college football playoff. If we end up moving to this world where the top 40 or 50 schools are, you know, um, all playing under the playoff or all within two or three conferences, you know, because I know that people are worried about the school, the players being employees. So there could be a, a, a way around that of the money being directly paid to the players from the conference or from the, the TV uh, entities themselves. So anyways, it's an interesting time. Uh, but anytime I get asked about those things and, and how Coach Sweeney is going to navigate that, I tell him he's going to do the same way he's done it, you know, his 15 years as a head coach. He's going to do it in a unique way that fits Clemson, fits our culture, and is ultimately successful. Jeff, this has officially been the quickest hour and 27-minute conversation I've ever had. <laughs> well, it's been great. <laughs> I could talk I could talk for three hours on this stuff. How about how about this? After your soccer season is over, we can have you have you back on since you'll have much more free time and we can we can talk about that. We could even have Mickey on here to sort of grill you on some of your yeah. play calling. Uh, I think that'll be good. I need to kind of go down in the submarine now for the next uh, eight weeks <laughs> as I get ready for my, my season starting on uh, Thursday night. And then once the season's over, we can come up and, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, – Mickey doesn't grill me too bad on uh, some of my, my coaching game day decisions uh, here in soccer over the next uh, few weeks. So that'll be fun. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. We'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Okay, that's back-to-back -back podcast guests, Jeff Scott and David Pollock, who within the last year have been fired, but who right now are freaking enjoying life. And that is just really so refreshing. So appreciate Jeff for sharing his time. Also appreciate the support of our sponsors for their help in making this happen. And obviously, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs>